you're listening to audio from Redwood Baptist Church. If you need any more information about us, go to www.redwoodbaptist.org. We hope and pray the message that you're about to listen to will strengthen you, encourage you, and make you more like Jesus. Blessings. Mark chapter number two, and uh, I appreciate you being here and worshiping the Lord with us. That song, that that new song that we sang, uh, entitled Anthem, uh, Jesus is the anthem of my heart, life, all those lines, I'm not sure exactly if I got that in order, and God has used that in in my personal life over the last, I don't know, three weeks, three and a half weeks just kind of leading up to something that, uh, a little procedure that someone in my family was having, and then just, it was great, just God using that, uh, using that song over and over and over again, and uh, I believe that's going to become a staple uh, here at Redwood, so if we sing it again next week, you'll be okay with that, right? Uh, good, especially if you've never heard it before, it kind of takes a while, it takes a few weeks to uh, get to know that. Mark chapter number two, uh, we're going to continue in our series, Jesus. And uh, this morning's message is entitled, Dining with Sinners. Dining with Sinners. How many of you are hungry right now? Any of you are hungry and you admit that? There's a lot of good food out there, uh, but you have to wait till after, okay? Uh, No, seriously, if you do need to go get something, go for it. But Dining with Sinners. Let's begin to read in verse number 13 of Mark chapter 2. And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. And so Levi was uh, there, he's kind of at the, uh, the receipt of custom. What that would mean is, is you know, they would, people would have to pay, uh, no doubt, taxes and things on the, 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 the fish and all of the people that would have gone out to the Sea of Galilee, they'd have to give a portion of those fish. Uh, to uh, basically to the government, to, uh, to uh, Rome at some point. Okay, so we see in verse number 15, and it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, that had been a Levi's house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole, or they're all they're not sick or anything like that, they don't have diseases, okay, have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Uh, There is a universal problem in our world that does not escape. Uh, any any one of us. Now, I wish I could say that uh, I do not uh, have this particular problem in my life, but the reality is that it really escapes no one. And uh, the problem this morning is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Uh, in a way, there's like this, this theological uh, arrogance, if we're not careful. I, I know more than you, and since I'm more of a, theolo- I'm more of a theologian than, than you are, I must be more spiritual than you are. That's kind of uh, maybe the, the, the religious side of it. Since I know more Bible, I'm more spiritual uh, than you are. It also can take on the form of looking down on someone who doesn't 
seem to be as spiritually mature as you would be as an individual. And so self-righteousness, to be honest with you, it's no, it's no respecter of persons. It's something that creeps into every single one of our lives at different times. And I want us to hear the words from uh, the preacher J.C. Ryle. He said this, Oh, let us beware of self-righteousness. Open sin kills thousands of souls. Self-righteousness kills its tens of thousands. Go and study humility with the great apostle of the Gentiles. Go and sit with Paul at the foot of the cross. Give up your secret pride. Cast away your vain ideas of your own goodness. Be thankful if you have any grace, if you're experiencing any grace. Be thankful for that, but never glory in it for a moment. Work for God and Christ with heart, soul, and mind and strength, but never dream for a second of placing confidence in any work of your own. That's some good preaching right there. And, uh, and so uh, J.C. Ryle, uh, is, he, he's, got, he's spot on right there. So I want to start this morning uh, as we begin this time together with a few questions. And uh, my question would be this. Who do you think you are? Okay, I'm not asking that in a derogatory way, like, who do you think you are? Not in any way. See how the inflections, they, they matter. But no, who do you think that you are? How do you, how do you describe yourself? How does your view of yourself, of who you think you are, how does it affect the way you think about your need of God and your need of grace? How does the way that you think about yourself shape the way you think about and respond to others who are all around you? You are, whether you realize it or not, in a constant, day, in a constant daily habit of self-assessment and self-evaluation. In other words, you're, you're always examining yourself. You're always evaluating yourself. One of the times where Ryan evaluates himself, it seems like the most, or it's at least what, what came to my mind uh, as I was preparing and even, even this morning praying over the message, is that when my family watches a Hallmark movie. So we watch a Hallmark movie, and I highly recommend those, although all of you guys will feel like you never measure up to these perfect dudes on the TV. And so I'm evaluating myself like, man, I'm not, I don't do that first. You know, you're constantly assessing yourself. I'm having a little fun with you there. So I do do that, by the way. But you're, all, you're constantly self-evaluating yourself. It's the part of yourself that's an ongoing internal conversation. Am I enough? Do they, do they like what I'm saying? Are they listening to me when I'm speaking? You know, some things like that. You know, I, I think of that when I'm speaking to you. Are you listening? No, I'm just kidding. But we're assessing ourselves. How am I doing with this? Am I engaging enough? All of the different things that, that, that are just real for me right now as I'm speaking before you, the things that, honestly, I assess myself as I'm going. But you and I are doing that constantly. Now, I'll be honest with you, this is good in a way. Because by God's grace, that can lead you to good places like confession and repentance. But it can also be a dangerous thing. And the reason why is because you and I are so skilled at letting ourselves off the hook for our own unrighteousness. You and I are really good at replaying the wrongs that we have done and shading them in such a way that 
would kind of soothe our own conscience. We're skilled at comparing ourselves to other people as we assess ourselves and somehow we have arrived based on what another person maybe is lacking in their life. And so we're too comfortable at times in quiet moments to be uh, condemning to men and women and children uh, that are around us. Romans 5.8, I I love this verse. It says, but God commendeth His love. God shows His love toward us, displays His love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So you and I, even in our most sinful, our most heinous state, God was not second-guessing whether or not that He should show forth His love or if Jesus uh, so for Jesus to take our place. He wasn't, he wasn't wondering, and yet so often in our lives we're, uh, we're, we're measuring people, measuring um, uh, friends and things like that. Well, should I do this or shouldn't I do that? I'm thankful that while I was a yet sinner, while I was at, the, at my worst state, God says, I'm going to move in. I'm going I'm to show my love. I'm going I'm to die for that individual. God in His matchless grace would send us the greatest friend the world has ever seen. And that was Jesus. And Jesus was a friend to sinners. And so I think this passage that is very, it's very helpful for us as we see once again a beautiful a picture of God's grace and also probably equally as important, it kind of shows us the, the struggle that you and I face with this problem of self-righteousness. So I want to I want to read the passage again, and uh, we'll, we'll go through it, and it'll be up on the screen here. And he went forth again by the seaside, that would be the Sea of Galilee, and all the multitude resorted unto him, or they came unto him, and they taught, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of customs, and said unto him, follow me. And he, that being Levi, arose and followed him. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat or dinner time or for a meal in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples. There were many there, there were many, there were many, and, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with these publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with the publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So once again, we find ourselves in the book of Mark in one of these controversial situations. Uh, We see Mark's just kind of narrative way that things go. He's just a really quick hitter. And so it's one of these, as I said last week, uh, as he, uh, the transitions into chapter two, into really several verses of chapter three, are kind of these controversial situations. Uh, Mark is presenting Jesus and his message as being one that you cannot straddle. You've either got to be one or the other. You've got you've to believe in what Christ says, or you have to kind of reject that. And so Jesus has made some outrageous claims, and he's either the Son of God or he's not. And so I want to kind of set the scene for you here tonight. And so the scribes and the Pharisees, they have, uh, this morning, excuse me, they've begun to, they've begun to follow Christ. They've begun to try to 
check him out, and eventually they want to ensnare him. They want to entrap him, and this pattern is going to lead ultimately to his trial, and then, of course, to his death on the cross. And as we see a familiar pattern in this passage, Jesus has withdrawn himself from earlier, and now the crowd has found him. They're pressing in on him. They're wanting him to perform miracles. They've heard of this Jesus from Nazareth. They've heard of this man that can teach like no one that they've ever heard, and they've seen the effect or the positive effect of what Jesus has done for, uh, for the different cities. And so this crowd comes, and he's preaching once again the, the gospel of the kingdom. He's preaching to these people. So that's the, that's the scene in which we come to as Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he encounters Levi. Now, Levi, when the Bible says here, a publican, simply what that means is he is a tax collector. So he's there, he's there in his booth, probably to collect an exorbitant amount of tax from these commercial fishermen that would have been on the Sea of Galilee. Now, listen, the tax collectors, they're bad guys. Uh, they're, they're despised people. Uh, and so if, if lepers were feared for their disease, tax collectors would have been hated for their schemes, for their way of, of getting more, uh, more money out of people. These gentlemen would have been, uh, they were probably far from gentlemen, these guys, they were Hebrews, and they worked for the Roman government. So these men, they would have been collecting these massive amounts of taxes that eventually uh, broke the back of the Palestinian economy all in and of itself, and what they would do is they'd also take a large portion for themselves. And so if the Roman government uh, said, hey, you need, to, you need to give whatever it would have been, 10%, hey, I'm gonna, you've got to give 20, and they were taking large portions of the taxes for themselves. And so from a political side, from a political standpoint, they were turncoats, so to speak, and they were thieves. They were known for their lawlessness. They were known for their immorality. Uh, as a group, uh, the tax collectors of the publicans they had been excommunicated from the synagogue, and they were known for being so corrupt that they weren't even allowed to participate in the work of the court. Those that would have been uh, around the, uh, the temple and the, and the tabernacle, those that would have been, um, you know, the, the synagogues, those that would have been like money exchangers, they weren't even allowed to be a part of that. Now, I would propose to you this morning that there are few of us, if any, if you and I were gathering our 12 closest compadres for a life's work, would we include Levi in those 12? And I think that says something. There's something very powerful about this moment of when Jesus looks at this despicable, this immoral man who literally stands for everything opposite of what Christ has begun to preach and what Christ will unveil in his ministry and ultimately, of course, on the cross. And Jesus looked at this man and he sees potential. Potential. 
You could argue this man had no potential whatsoever. But when Jesus sees him, he sees this radical, transforming, life-shaping, God-glorifying grace that can change this man, that can be just a, a portrait of what God can do. You need no more argument in all of Scripture for the power and the importance of grace than the calling of Levi. And I think if I could, if I could speak for you, and I'm actually going to do that for you, <laughs> the reason we are so surprised at the calling of people like Levi is because we mistakenly think that somehow we're different. Somehow we learn of what Levi would have been like and what tax collectors would have been known for and somehow we view ourselves as a little bit different. We somehow think we're better than him. I want you to hear me this morning. I know it's kind of chilly in here. I apologize. The heat's on. But I, but I, I want you to hear me. Everyone here is capable of everything this man gave himself to apart from the rescuing, transforming power of the grace of God. This could be every one of our testimonies. Every one of us could have been cheats. Every one of us could have been scandalous in the way that we dealt with people. We could have been immoral in, just in, in, in types of relationships apart from the transforming power of God's grace in your life and in my life. Our hope is one thing, and that hope is found in Jesus. That hope is found in grace and we bring nothing to that moment. We brought nothing to the moment of our salvation apart from our personal need. And listen to me, that is the heart of the gospel. And the minute that you think that you are greater, the minute that I think that I am greater, we are in trouble. The moment that we think in some way that our church, because of maybe uh, what we teach and how we live, somehow is better than some other church that preaches Christ, Listen to me, it is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. I'm afraid what happens in my life and I'm afraid what happens in other people's lives that as, as, as we grow in knowledge, as biblical literacy grows, something at times dangerous begins to happen. And here's what it is. As we get greater in our eyes, our celebration of Christ gets lesser. Following that? As we get greater in our eyes, as we, as we esteem to know more theology, by the way, you ought to. You ought to be in the book. You ought to be praying. You ought to be walking with the Lord. You ought to be deepening the doctrine of the knowledge that you have. You ought, to, you ought to be memorizing Scripture. You ought to be fighting against sin. You ought to become holier or more like Christ as the days go by. But the danger is, is as we ascend in that, if we're not careful, our celebration of the one who's doing all the work, being Jesus in us, begins to become less. We get more excited about us, and by the very nature of that, we are less excited about grace. Now, please don't get mad at me this morning, okay? How many of you promise you won't get mad at me? No, don't raise your hand. We are all Levi. All of us. It is shocking that God would call any of us into his kingdom work. I mean, I was thinking about it this week, and I'm like, God, th th there was nothing in Ryan that 
was of any value of number one for salvation and number two to be called into the, the, the vocation that God allowed me to do. I mean, nothing. We're all Levi's. It's all a shocking miracle of grace, every one of us. We may struggle to get that now, but my friends, I believe that there's going to come a day in eternity when we're going to totally get it. There's going to come a day in eternity, man, where we're going to want to sing and sing and sing and sing and sing. We're going to be like, hey, can we sing that one again? Can we sing anthem again? Can we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound, like for a millionth time in a row? That day is coming. But right now, I get it. We struggle. Sometimes we, get, uh, uh, we can get bored with things, but be aware of it. It is very easy for us to walk by certain people. Very easy for us to look upon people and to say, I thank God that I am not like them. It's easy to do, guys. And one day we're going to get to, we're going to, get to heaven and there's going to be none of that. But down here on this earth, you and I, I want to caution you this morning with it. I want to caution myself with it. It's very easy to do. To walk in our lives and begin to look to the right and to the left and the people around us and think, man, thank God I'm not like that. Man, glad I don't have that issue. I'm glad I I don't have that past. Let's pick it back up in our text. And it came to pass in verse 15 that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. So if you want to see how this, how this picture of how much there has been this amazing transformation in, in Levi's life, what, is, what does Levi do? Levi, he's, he, he, he's, called, by, he's called by Christ. He's, he, he's received in grace and all that we know about the, the average tax collector, and what, and what does Levi do? He brings him to his home. I want you to think about this. And Levi's normal evening plans, just a sinful, sinful lifestyle, a depraved lifestyle kind of thing, Jesus would have kind of been a buzzkill. You know, if like for, for what, what his normal evening uh, would have been like, he'd have been like, yeah, you know what, Jesus, yeah, he's, a, he's a party killer. You wouldn't want Jesus around. But the fact that he wants Jesus with him, that's an amazing thing to me. It is clear to me that he wants to celebrate his newfound Messiah and that he wants to introduce Jesus to his friends. But who are his friends? Uh, They're the bad company, right? They're the the other publicans. They're the other men that would have been just kind of of had a a look of just debauchery. It would have been these these other sinners, I don't know if this shocks you or not, but Jesus is quite comfortable in this arena. Comfortable. Because these are the very people that he came for. These are the people that he came to save. You don't see Jesus in this arena saying, well, you know, Levi, I really, I really appreciate the invitation. I mean, it means, it means so much to me that you'd invite me into your, into your home and, and with your friends. But, but, but Levi, I've got, a, I've got a reputation to keep. You know, I've got I've to I've look a certain way. I can't, I, I can't get too close to those, to, to, to those other sinners. I can't, I can't associate with those, with those lifestyles. I can't go to that place with you. I really appreciate the invitation. But you know what? They do some bad things there. 
and I can't go, I can't be around them. Now there's none of that. Jesus is quite willing to be with these people. And before him is the need that brought him. The the real reason that that brought him to this earth, the very need that is going to continue to drive him to the cross is what is before him. Craig Bloomberg, in his book, Contagious Holiness, says this. Jesus exhibits a contagious holiness. Jesus reveals not one instance of fearing contamination, whether moral or ritual, by associating with the wicked or impure. Rather, he believes that his purity can rub off on them, and he hopes that this magnanimity, however you say that word, basically his nobleness, his virtue, his, his holiness toward them would lead them to, his, to heed his calls to discipleship. I mean, I mean, listen, Jesus is not at shock in this, in this arena, at this meal, in this man's home. Now, his, his associations or encounters with people, listen to me, they're not, they're not taken lightly. His encounters with, with these sinners, they were absolutely intentional. Jesus didn't just go so that he could hang out with them. Jesus wasn't just there so he could, you know, kind of have be, be a part of the of the social scene. No, no, no. He had a he he was intentional. His desire was hopefully to, to was ultimately to preach the gospel to them, for them to understand what the kingdom was all about. He was on mission, and he befriended sinners with a purpose. First Timothy Peter uh, John, Paul tells us in First Timothy one, there is a this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul says, of whom I am chief. That's amazing that Paul would say that. I mean, you and I, we, we, we think of the Apostle Paul, we think, yeah, you know what, he's pretty far along on that theological notch. He's got, he's, got, he's got things together. He's doing well. He says, of sinners, of whom I am chief. But Paul indicates here that Jesus came to save sinners. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel comfortable around sinners? Do you feel comfortable in the arenas where there might be a lot of sinners? But there's others in this room. There's the scribes. There's the Pharisees. Either they're in or they're or they're looking on. We don't quite know, but. Uh, they're, they're observing what has happened here, and these, are the, uh, these would be the religious law people. These would have been the theologians of the day, and they see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. And they ask this amazing question. Now, I say amazing because it's shocking. Why, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? That's got to be one of the most arrogant questions that has ever been asked on this earth. Because the only way to ask the question, why is he eating with publicans and sinners? The only way they could ask that question is somehow they have separated themselves from that equation. It's the only way they could do that. Because they wouldn't have most, most likely had a problem with Jesus eating with them. They had a problem with Jesus eating with the publicans and the sinners. And so for them to say, what in the world is Jesus doing? You know, mingling with these wretched people. The only way someone could do that is they have separated themselves from the equation. 
they have somehow put in their minds that they are apart from that. Now, in fact, you could argue that these religious leaders, they probably should have been saying, man, this is a wonderful thing. This is exactly what Jesus Christ came to this world for. He was going to love sinners. He was going to die for our sin. He was going to bear our sin. But instead, there's, how dare you? How dare you go to that place? How dare you walk your family into that location? I could start naming things if you want me to. Let the Holy Spirit do it. Dare you? Don't you know what's on those screens? Don't you know what happens in those places? So they didn't quite get it. Now on a Sunday morning, 11:52, who would make you uncomfortable if they walked in the back door? And they sat in the blue seat right next to you. Who would make you uncomfortable? Be honest. Let the awkwardness of the silence let you think. Be honest. What class of person would you rather not see Trust Christ and come to Redwood. What group of egregious sinners you define now? I mean, just whatever it is. What group of egregious sinners would you not want God to show grace towards? I've been challenged greatly the last, I don't know how many weeks it's been since I preached on the Sanctity of life, and how sometimes I wish certain buildings would burn down. Like, you know, I don't want grace for that. I want grace for them. And yet, don't we want them to trust Christ? Don't we want the transformation that can only come from in the heart to begin to take place? And yet, sometimes there's this, ah, no, 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 there's no grace for them. Hell, damnation, eternal fire, yep, that's for them. No, that's for me. That's for you. For we've all sinned, we've all come short of the glory of God. For all of us deserve that eternal damnation. And so this is important, these are important questions for us to consider. Jesus he eats with sinners. I want you to think about this. If Jesus did not eat with sinners, Jesus would have been absolutely eating alone because there's only two types of people, Jesus and sinners. That's it. So who is he supposed to eat with, Pharisees and scribes? Right? Who's he supposed to eat with? If he literally would have been not eating with publicans and sinners, he would have been completely eating alone. That is, that is the irrationality of what self-righteousness does. What is amazing is, is we are able, uh, Jesus put it a different way in the Sermon on the Mount, we're, we're, we're able to see like this little speck in someone's eye while we got like this beam coming out of ours. You know what I'm talking about? With the whole, the way we judge people, Jesus is like, wait a minute. 
you've got a massive beam coming out of your eye, and you want to tell me that in that, uh, the, the way that that would so skew your scene, you want to see a speck in someone else's? Stop it. That's basically what Jesus was saying. And so you and I, we, we've got to understand that this, it blinds us to what we ought to be doing. Now, when you think of sinners, there's, there's probably just only uh, a couple of different classes. Let me just give these to you really quick here. You listen well. Number one, there are those who are sinners but do not have that sin as a category. They are utterly blind to their sin. In other words, like, you know, you, you, you can go to like other for, you know, foreign countries. I mean, may, there's probably even places maybe even here uh, in America, things like that, where they, they don't even necessarily know that what they're doing is sin. I think of specifically, we got dear friends Jer- Jason and Cherith Audison that have gone to like this remote place in Papua New Guinea to the Kamea people. And I mean, they just, this is all they've, they've, all they've ever known. And so Jason and Cherith, they're coming and they, they want to be instruments of seeing for these people. They want, to be, they, they, they want to help them to begin to see that, that through us, that through the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that these people can come to the knowledge of their sin and ultimately they need a savior. And so there's those that, that they have no clue. Secondly, there are those who are self-righteous. They're, they're arrogant. They're denying of need sinners. They are sinners, but they refuse to recognize their sin. And listen, self-righteousness is a premier enemy of the work of God. Self-righteousness will crush your seeking and celebration of grace. Because as I said last week, grace is only attractive to sinners. Grace is only motivating, is only awesome, is only worthy of celebration to those that still acknowledge that we wrestle and we struggle with sin. Now listen, if you do not think you're a sinner, then if you think you're not a sinner, you're not at all excited about the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. The message of the fact that he came and that, uh, that he um, uh, lived our life, that he was tempted at all points like as we are, that he went to the cross and that he secured forgiveness and that he arose from the, from the grave three days later and he ascended so that we can live. That stuff's like, oh, hum, again. If we're full of self-righteousness. But if we realize that over the last, since we've been here last, last Sunday, over the last seven weeks, man, we have still been in radical need of grace. Then the cross rejuvenates you again. We run to it again. And we receive the life that it was meant to give you from every moment of every day going forward. Self-righteousness, you know what else it does? It crushes ministry. Because we do not tend to be excited about ministering to people that suddenly now we're despising. So it crushes ministry. And then there's a third group of people. Those, there are those that know they are sinners and in need of great grace. That's the third group. And I pray that that's us. I mean, I, I'll be transparent with you. I go between two and three all the time. Between two and three. But I, I, I'm really asking the Lord as I close that, 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 that I get to the place where I, I rest here, where I know that, that, that I continually need great grace. No one gives grace better than a person who knows they need it. Hey, moms and dads that's struggling with your kids, oh, that's me right here sometimes. You, you, you know that you need to give grace 
when you really realize how much you need it. It changes the way that you deal with people. It changes the way you deal with hard coworkers and maybe family members that are our array or whatnot. A sense of personal need is the very best, it's the healthy way to propel ministry. And then we come to verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, they that are whole have no need of the physician. In other words, those that they've got it all together, they have no need of the physician. Those that are deemed non-sinners, no need for a physician. But they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When you're, when you're feeling healthy, I don't, think you, I don't think any of us ever say, you know what, I really think that I ought to go see the doctor. And I'm feeling so good. I know Miss Marquita would want me to go see the doctor, even if I'm feeling good, right, sister? I know, but most of us don't do that, right? Most of us are like, oh, I feel terrible. I should go see the doctor. And then you have loved ones in your family, like Marquita, that says, hey, no, you ought to go more often. But what Jesus is saying here is that, listen, those that have it all together, you don't need me. And really, that's nobody. But it's just, it's a funny way of putting it. Uh, you don't. I didn't, I didn't come for you, scribe, Pharisee. I didn't come for you. He did, but what he's saying is, I didn't come for that, that, that you, you, you think you don't need me, and I came for sinners, and we know that they are as well. Jesus in this moment is once again giving us a picture of what his ministry is really all about. He sits with the despised. He sits with the rejected. He sits with the seemingly spiritually hopeless because that's exactly who and what he came to do. He is there because he understands he is their only hope. Jesus will not just number himself with sinners in life. 